Thanks for tuning in to The Sword and Trial. Today, we uh, talked to Dr. Jared Moore about his recent book, The Lust of the Flesh, in which he deals with human sexuality, what the Bible says about that, and he takes on and corrects a lot of the wrong thinking, even by good people, in the evangelical world. So I hope that you will enjoy this conversation. If it's useful to you, uh, please spread it around to others as well. Welcome to the Sword and Trial. The Sword and Trial is a ministry of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundon. Delighted to have you join us today as we welcome into this conversation our friend, Dr. Jared Moore. Jared is a pastor in Tennessee and has served as Baptist pastor for over 20 years within the SBC. He's a graduate, a two-time graduate of Southern Seminary, did his Master's of Divinity there as well as a Ph.D., and his Ph.D., was on uh, the uh, he did you did your primary work Jared on just sexuality human sexuality and uh, thinking through issues uh, related to that and you've just written this book it's come out this year called the lust of the flesh thinking biblically about sexual orientation attraction and temptation so it's a wonderful book and we wanted to talk to Jared today about that and the issues related to it so brother welcome all the way from Tennessee <clears throat> Thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, hey, tell us a little bit about your church and how long you've been there and uh, just some of the nature of the ministry. Yeah, I've been at uh, Cumberland Homesteads Baptist Church for, um, it'll be eight years in January. And uh, we actually just did our, you know, our Christmas benevolent ministry um, where we help families during the Christmas season who are in need in our community. And, um you know, as far as the nature of the ministry, we're, we're very much a typical Southern Baptist church. Um, you know, we, we're probably more high church as far as our organ and piano and the songs we sing and we use catechism in worship and, um, we're using, um, the New Hampshire and second London, the Collins version of the, no, not the New Hampshire, the, um, the Collins version of the um, Hercules Collins of the Heidelberg oh, catechism yeah. and um, using a version of the second London for, for some of the younger ones. But, uh, but I mean, that, that's, that's been really beneficial and something that the SBC needs to get back to. Mm-hmm. And uh, we re- we've used founders uh, truth and grace memory books um, largely. Wow. That's great. Well, very good. And what part of the state uh, is your church in? It's right in the middle. It's in Crossville, Tennessee, which is on I-40 between Nashville and Knoxville. It's right in the middle. Very good. Very good. Well, brother, thank you for joining us today. Uh, This issue that you've addressed in your book is um, an ever-growing hot topic. And Rosaria Butterfield's book's come out, Her Five Lies, and she's been speaking publicly a lot recently, as have you. You've engaged some evangelical leaders that haven't thought uh, as carefully and critically on this issue as they should. And it's important because what we're seeing in our society today is the fruit of wrongheadedness on this whole issue of sexuality, temptation, lust, um, disordered loves, all of those things go into it. So tell, tell us, how did you determine even to make this a, a topic of research? What was it 
that you were seeing? What was it that uh, led you, you? You graduated with your PhD, what, about five or six years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did you get uh, how'd you get on this subject? Well, I had a friend in seminary who's still a good friend who was talking about a guy named Wesley Hill. And uh, he was, you know, telling me, that, you know, the, the Washington waiting had come out of Wesley Hill and where he's, you know, he's washed by Christ, but he's waiting on the redemption of his body. And as Wesley Hill progressed and began to lecture, he began to be more clear that he was arguing for the sanctification of homosexual orientation. And my buddy was telling me this stuff, and I just said, there's no way that's right. And it really was very simple for me because Jesus says we're to love God with all our hearts, souls, and minds, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And there's no way homosexual orientation um, can do that. And so I knew it was sin. I knew it was wrong from the beginning. And I knew if we didn't draw a line in the sand now, as the culture continues to progress and wax worse concerning, you know, sexual sin, we're going to have to try to sanctify those so-called orientations as well. So I wanted to help the church draw a line in the sand. And I wanted to do it from an academic perspective because it was largely guys with PhDs who were arguing these things. So you got into that, you wrote your dissertation on that, and then you wrote this book. And um, in this book, one of the most helpful things that I, I think you have done is to uh, dive deeply into what the Bible means about temptation. What temptation is, it's uh, various ways of being presented in Scripture. I mean, the same word comes to us in Greek for both test or trial and temptation. And so it's easy to get misled on that. And people do that, especially in James 1. You give a chapter to uh, expounding and exegeting uh, James 1. So uh, give us uh, an overview of how you understand the Bible's teaching about temptation. Yeah, the the big issue um, is, well, there's two big issues. They Folks misunderstand James 1 because they ignore uh, James one thirteen. usually they just jump to James one uh, fourteen, And um, one thirteen. this is what it says. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so James earlier has said in this chapter, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so trials are good because God uses it to mature us in the faith. Um, You know, it's similar to when the Bible talks about how Jesus learned obedience through his suffering. And um, so they're good. They're meant to um, mature us and grow us. And um, But in the midst of that, our flesh tempts us to sin. So evidently, James's hearers were saying that God is giving them trials, but they were also claiming he gives them temptations. Mm-hmm. And James is saying, no, you are responsible for tempting yourself. And if you don't deal with it at the root, this is what it produces. It's going to conceive outward sin and eventually death. 
Mm-hmm. Like he uses this genealogical metaphor. Uh, it's like a grandmother, a daughter, and a granddaughter, where the seed of sin, or what I call, well, what John calls in First John, the lust of the flesh, that is the seed, and it can only produce in its own likeness, similar to, you know, a, a grandmother conceiving. Um, and uh, some commentators said that she conceives with the devil and that the flesh is, you know, this mother and the conception is the evil one. And they produce this evil inclination and desire within us. And I think that actually fits with the rest of Scripture whenever um, Jesus calls the um, Pharisees. And uh, actually Stephen does as well, saying that they're of their father, the devil. Uh, I doubt they're in a back room conversing with the devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they could have been, but I, I don't think that, that was the case. I think he's making a reference to their flesh, to their unbridled um, original sin. Mm-hmm. And um, so James, it's like a chiasm here where James says, God can't do this. You're doing it to yourself. And then in verse 16, he says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And so he says, God can't do this. Then he says, you're doing it. And then he says, only good gifts come from God. So so basically stop blaming God for your temptations to evil because God isn't doing it. Your flesh is. Mm. And James 4 talks about the reason why they're murdering each other is because they're not repenting of their evil desires their evil passions at the root. Um, and the clear example is in 15, because folks say, well, you know, Robert Gagnon says this. He says, um, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. But if that desire doesn't conceive, then you have not sinned. Mm. But if you look at the metaphor, it says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. If you argue that um, desire is only sin when it conceives, then you have to also argue that sin only leads to death when full grown. Mm. But that is not what the Bible clearly teaches elsewhere. The wages of sin is death. Like, you know, all sin is death. It all earns death. Yeah, that's good. It's helpful. Um Lloyd-Jones, I think it's in his sermons on Ephesians, uh, was very helpful to me when I was a young pastor in distinguishing between sin and temptation. And uh, he uses the illustration, he talks about himself, he said even sometimes when he was preaching that just wicked thoughts would come to his mind. And you know he didn't know what to do with that as he studied it, realized, okay, this is a temptation. It's not anything that is sinful that I need to repent of. This has come to me from outside of me. And there is a difference between <clears throat> sin and temptation, just as there's a difference between uh, internal temptation and external temptation. So not all, not all temptation is sin, right? And you mm-hmm. agree with that? We have to agree with that because Jesus was tempted at all points like we are, uh, yet was without sin. The, the difference seems to be that what we have because of our sin nature, this lust of the flesh, this provides um, a target-rich environment for external forces, the world, uh, the devil, to take advantage of us and to cultivate that which is within us that if we're not 
constantly putting it to death, constantly renouncing it, leads us into the acts of sin that follow that genealogy that's laid out in James. So how do you distinguish? Pastorally, this is an important thing to do, and I think a lot of the concerns that we ought to have about what's going on in counseling people today with disordered loves and who are um, just caught up in in, um, gender dysphoria, if we're not clear on this, we're going to we're not going to help them. We're, we're going to be miserable counselors. I think, um, ironically, you know, with the, the distinction between those, you know, types of temptation, the temptation uh, that is external and the temptation that is internal, is it, those temptations which um, change the orientation of our hearts. <laughs> that's, what, that's what's sinful. It, it, ironically, I, and I, I use the word orientation intentionally because that's what they... Mm-hmm. That's what people who hold to this position, they say, you know, you referenced earlier, Dr. Moore, sanctifying uh, homosexual orientation. What is that orientation? But an orientation of your internal person, your heart, your desires. It, but it's a temptation which reorients your heart away from God toward other things. And when temptation does that, well, that's a sinful temptation. That's that's temptation that produces sin, mm-hmm. and, which leads to death. So, um, but then there are sins, or there are temptations, uh, which don't have that effect on the heart, that don't change the orientation of the Christian's heart from God and the things of God to other things, to idols, to the things of this world. Um, and when temptation comes that does not do that to you, um, well, that that is not the same thing. That is not a sinful temptation. I don't know. I, I, if Is that the way that you think about it, Jared? Well, the, the way I would describe it is... Um, there are two forms of temptation. The way that Jesus was tempted was he was offered good things through evil means. And so if you're offered a good thing through an evil means and you reject the evil means 100%, then you've been tempted like Jesus. Mm -hmm. But if you are tempted from within, um, I would argue even evil thoughts, um, anything in you that's contrary to God that springs up from within your heart, is morally culpable sin. And, you know, Augustine talks about how you need to fight it and reject it and rejoice whenever rejoice whenever you don't follow through with whatever the thought was. But then he says to repent for even having had it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And um, I think that, that that's great freedom in Christ. You know, so, some folks who've read my book, they've, you know, they don't battle any of the LGBT desires, but they said that, we're all quick to excuse our sin. And what I want to encourage folks to do is to run to Jesus. You don't have to run to the mirror any longer. You no longer have to excuse your sin. Mm -hmm. You can go directly to the high priest. Like just go directly to him, Mm -hmm. run to him. I assume we're more sinful than we realize, but, but my book helps to show that. And it encourages folks that you've also received more grace than you realize. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just grateful for that. So, I don't ever have to excuse my sin or I don't ever have to try to look at Jesus's temptation and say, I'm like Jesus, you know, when he's actually went to the cross and risen for me and has ascended for me and is at the father's right hand for me. Mm -hmm. That's where I run. Yeah. It's a great point to make. And it's something we've got to keep clear, especially as pastors and those that want to help shepherd, encourage, counsel other Christians is recognizing that there are things that are not sinful in and of themselves that you can be tempted to participate in in a way that would be sinful. Mm -hmm. And when you 
are tempted like that, that temptation is external and you need to resist it. When you resist it, you've not sinned. But then there are things that are inherently sinful Mm -hmm. that your proclivity is, yeah, I want that or I would be, I'd love to have advantage of that. And when you're tempted to that, the desire is inherently sinful. And this is, I think this is Romans 1, it's the argument there. It's unnatural. There's Mm -hmm. no universe in which someone desiring to have sexual relationships with a person of the same sex could ever be right and good. Yeah, It's never that way. Mm-hmm. And God intended men, uh, made man and woman for one another, the sexual relationships to be enjoyed in a covenant of marriage between one man, one woman for all of life. And so you might be walking by a bakery and see a beautiful apple pie and be tempted to go buy the pie and eat the pie. Well, uh, that's an external temptation. There's nothing inherently sinful about desiring Apple pie, at least I hope not, because I love apple but pie. But there is there is something <laughs> sinful about desiring the apple pie and going to steal the apple pie. Steal the apple pie or sit down and eat the whole apple pie. You know, I mean, yeah. there's a thousand things you could come up with that would be wrong that a Christian should not do. But the, the desire, the, there's nothing sinful in that desire. I think that's what Lloyd-Jones is talking about. That's what John Owen, and John Owen's uh, volume six of his works on temptation and sin, uh, he's got a whole... Um, uh, manuscript on temptation that's so good and and showing us that yeah we've got to resist temptation and as christians we're we're told by jesus to pray lead us not into temptation so we try to avoid those hours of temptation those seasons of temptation and when we find ourselves in them recognize that the world the devil has a target rich environment in our own hearts and minds on mm-hmm. which to uh, plow and work to draw us out in uh, sinful ways. And, and Jerry, what you said is so important. Man, as ministers of the gospel, as people who know Jesus, we have a Savior. We don't have to justify. We don't have to say, well, that's just the way God made me. And yeah, you know, we're, we're getting this all the time now with gay Christianity and LGBTQ Christianity and such. But we can do that in every other sinful direction as well. I'm just an angry person. You know, I don't I blow up, but I don't stay angry. So, you know, that's just the way God made me. That's my personality. And No, I, own it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's sinful. Repent of it. And you can do it because you have a Savior. Yeah, maybe we need a follow-up book on this on repentance. Yeah, there you go. When, when, you, uh, when, when your sin is brought to you uh, and you realize <clears throat> that you are more sinful than you thought that you were and you realize that, oh, these temptations that I've been allowing to just, you know, fester in my, in my heart and in my mind, that is, that is actually sin. It, our natural reaction is to say, no, it's not sin. And I'm going to make these arguments to, to convince myself, no, it's not sin. When that's just not the right response of the Christian, the response is, oh, that is sin, yeah. and there's an answer to it. Amen. It's going to the Lord in repentance and trusting that he has cleansed you. Jared, I think uh, one thing that's kind of a subtext of your book is the this whole point of repentance. It's like, um, it's like, there's an attempt to try to help those that are caught up in uh, gender dysphoria and in, in sexual confusion, sexual sin, by making them feel better. And, you know, you're not acting on it, so you're not doing the end result. And you can be a, a celibate homosexual. I, that language kills me, too. I mean, that's, that's not mm-hmm. the idea of sexual celibacy in Scripture. Um, and... And then just lead a, a life 
of a same-sex attracted Christian or a gay Christian. That's your identity. And you believe that about yourself. And, in fact, we've had some Christian leaders say, well, these are the heroes among yeah. us. Yeah. Well, you're not helping them uh, to, to help them to realize, no, 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 we, we have a Savior. Uh, this inclination is wrong, and I need to go to the root of it and not sign peace treaties with it. It's one of the things Rosaria Butterfield's done so well with her five lies, you know, lies she believed before she was a Christian, some lies she believed after she became a Christian, and there are some lies that Christian leaders are believing and promoting today that are really harming the very people that they're trying to help. Why do you think, why do you think it is that so many evangelical leaders are slow to uh, just recognize this and say, okay, this is wrong. I used to teach it this way. I'm not going to teach it that way anymore. And I'm sorry that I did teach it that way. And I'm grateful I have a Savior that forgives me for my wrong teaching. What do you think is going on there? I think (laughs) that politics has negatively impacted evangelicalism to the point of (laughs) – we all know our leaders sin yeah, and sometimes it's glaring and it's public. Mm. Um, <laughs> you know, I, ironically it was Johnny hunt who said that, you know, if a pastor falls, his public repentance must be as scandalous as his sin was. Mm. And, um, and that's what I would encourage mm. in, in these men to do like Rosaria and Rosaria uh, to our shame is teaching men how to be men, um, <laughs> you know, teaching godly men how to be uh, godly men. I know, but that's, that's not her intent. Right. That's what she's, that's what she's doing. I mean, she's, she's involved her, the church she's a, a part of, um, she said in an interview recently that her session, you know, the, the elders told her that she shouldn't be writing for the gospel coalition and, uh, and she submitted to them. She agreed. And which was, which was fascinating to me. I mean, how many women, who are involved in public life at all would do that or even say that or admit Mm -hmm. that. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's unique. So, I mean, her goal is not to rebuke pastors, but that's the Lord is using her to shame men and to show men what repentance is publicly. Um, But the reason why is PR, it's public relations. Somebody is in their ear telling them, I mean, you see this with Rachel Gilson too. You see it with women. Mm. You saw it with Danny Aiken with, um, him whitewashing Rachel Gilson's public admission and, and, you know, Rachel gave, um, approval to same sex marriage and it's on video Mm. back in 2018. It's on video. Like you can watch it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, and she releases a statement saying she affirms biblical marriage. I'm like, well, well, what about this video? Mm. If you don't agree with that video, say you don't agree with it. Right. Like you saw this with Karen Swallow Pryor at yep. Southeastern who never renounced revoice. Right. Like she, she uh, endorsed them back when they came out and she never <clears throat> rescinded her endorsement. And anytime we brought it up, Danny Aiken acted like we were the bad guys, yep. but all he's doing is sanctioning public unrepentance. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I think I coined a, a word a couple of years ago, uh, metanoia phobia, uh, metanoia, the Greek word for repentance and phobia for fear. There seems to be a fear of repentance mm-hmm. among too many who are in leadership in the evangelical world. And uh, Jared, recently you highlighted on social media that the evangelical free church 
uh, has a statement about these issues that is just horrible. Uh, mm. Can you comment on that? Yeah, that was before Revoice. That was about five years before Revoice. In 2013, the Evangelical Free Denomination um, released a statement on sexuality, and they make arguments like, and so Evangelical Free Denomination, that's what Trinity Evangelical Divinity School mm. is, um, where you have uh, professors like Don Carson and Kevin Van Hooser, and um, I don't know if they have signed this document because they may have been grandfathered in, especially Carson. Um, but these statements like temptation, including sexual attraction, is not sin. Sin is yielding to temptation. Jesus himself was tempted yet without sin. We must carefully distinguish between same-sex attraction, sinful lust, self-selected identification, and sexual behavior. It's not a sin to be tempted in the area of same gender sex, which that statement right there blows my mind. Mm. So wanting to sodomize someone in your heart is, right. is not um, <laughs> sin. Yeah. You got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But uh, but anyway, uh, he goes on to say, in some cases, it may not be wrong for a person to self-identify as LGBT. Yeah. And that, um, that was back in 2013. And it, it blew my mind when I found that. Um, and I, you know, whenever I went to look for things like I'm not doing, um, opposition research, <laughs> I was trying to see who was on my side because yeah. I'm writing a dissertation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to see, get sources who argue in favor of what I'm, you know, I'm trying to build it up and man, I, every time I went and searched someone, it, it was bad most of the time it yeah. wasn't good in most cases there were very few you know th this mentality has infected most of evangelical institutions yeah you know tom buck wrote a series of four articles several years ago on this and he just exposed the whole revoice living out um you know several of us as you mentioned i've talked to danny aiken wrote articles about karen swallow prior and talked to or exchanged emails with karen swallow prior about her endorsement and refusal to withdraw her endorsement, and uh, you know that became a, a big deal in uh, that connection, that relationship, and world. Uh, Sam Albury, who's from all accounts a really nice guy, you know his book was touted as kind of the mm -hmm. the book. What's it? Does God hate homosexuals? Is that the title of it? It's God anti gay. Yeah, it's God anti gay, and um, and Sam as a part of of the living out. Um, I don't think he ever publicly renounced that or distanced himself from that, saying this is bad. But living out just has poisonous counsel, poisonous counsel, that if people follow it, it's going to lead them to hell. I think it was uh, Rosaria that said about your book that you expose how these these supposed helps uh, in counseling people are building bridges to hell for them to cross over. And that's, that's why this can't be taken lightly. And our leaders who, in the name of being compassionate and kind, are actually being very, very cruel, need to be called to account. Mm -hmm. They need to be called to repent. You know, we don't, we don't Rosaria said in, in that, uh, her convocation at Liberty University recently, we don't throw sinners away, but we don't trust them if they won't repent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And so I, you know, I would just say to anybody, any pastor, man, if you've been wrong on this, own it. We got a savior. Uh, any evangelical leader, if you've been wrong on this, confess it. We have a savior 
but don't try to cover it up. Don't pretend like everything's okay and that you just hope people won't remember what you've said and taught in the past so that you can now teach things a little differently and alter your course without coming out and repenting. That's not the way Christians live. And we have a Savior, and we ought to be quick to repent. Yeah, and the the heart that the Lord has humbled, it's it's the easiest thing in the world to do, to Amen. go to your Father. But the heart that remains proud, it's almost impossible. Yeah. It's almost impossible. And so if, if you see your sin and you know, okay, this this is going to take repentance, like ask the Lord to humble you. Yeah. Ask the Lord to give you humility and to put your pride to death. Yeah. What What is it that keeps... Christians from repenting. I, I think sometimes we may have taught inadvertently that repentance is, is such a cataclysmic um, event or action that the bar has to be really high. You know, it has, we have to have done something really, really bad before we repent. Mm. And man, there ought to be a low bar in yep. the Christian life because we know that sins mixed with everything we do. We know that, you know, we're shot through in our nature with sin, even though it's regenerate, it's still sinful. Mm-hmm. And so there shouldn't be this animosity or this allergy toward repentance. Yeah, is, 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 is your belief in the gospel merely theoretical or does it seep into the way that you live your life daily? Um, if we really truly believe the gospel, uh, the bar for repentance would be very low for yeah, us. Yeah. And recognizing what, what the scriptures teach me is that I am in and of myself sinful and I fail all the time, yet I have a Savior who has forgiven me and who has washed me clean and, and I can go to him and seek forgiveness and repent and and be clean. Like yeah. that's what that's what the gospel teaches. And if we actually really truly believe that, we wouldn't be afraid to let other people see us believe. Absolutely. That. Yeah. Christians are believers and repenters. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that just ought to be the warp and woof of our lives. Well, Jared, your book has uh provided opportunity, not just for dialogue, but it's opened up some opportunities for you to engage uh, those who are adamantly opposed to the arguments that you are making. Um, Tell us a little bit about how some of those um, opportunities have unfolded and, and where people might go to see how you've engaged those who disagree with you. Sure. Uh, probably the main one that has been a public disagreement back and forth is with Doug Wilson. Uh, Doug, um, I went on a, I think it was John, I went on John Harris's podcast and I mentioned some names again. It wasn't opposition research. I was yeah. just trying to find guys on my side. And um, I noticed that Doug Wilson said in a, it was actually, he was answering a letter on his blog back in 2022 someone was asking about homosexual concupiscence, which is evil desire or original sin that's left over in Christians. Um, concupiscence is, Mm. and, um, Doug told him it wasn't sin unless he acted on it. And so I named Doug and mentioned what he said and it got back to Doug. And so Doug wrote an article called concupiscence is as concupiscence (laughs) does. And you can go find that on his blog, (laughs) which that's backwards, by the way. Concupiscence does as concupiscence is a biblical way to look at it. Lots Another of way to say of would be the lust of the flesh um, is, I'm sorry, the lust of the flesh does as the lust of the flesh is, mm-hmm. right? Because it, it is sin, and that's why it does sin. Um, but Doug was willing to come on John Harris's podcast and to go back and forth with me. 
And so you can go find that uh, listener if you just search for Doug Wilson, Jared Moore, John Harris on YouTube, mm-hmm. and you can listen to that debate. Um, but long story short, Doug believes that original sin produces something in Christians that is neutral. In that article on his website, Concupiscence, um, he is as Concupiscence does. He argues that, say, a man's looking at a computer and there's a pop-up that comes up and it's homosexual pornography. And the man sees it as good in his heart, but then rejects it. The man has not sinned, is what he argues. And um, I don't, I mean, I can't wrap my head around. So the man had a brief moment where he wanted to view this person, not only as he should view his wife, but also how Eve looked at Adam in the marriage bed. And that's not sin. Yeah. Um. But and so he believes that uh, it's it's very similar to the modern Roman Catholic position. It's not it's not Westminster. And in our debate, I keep trying to point him back to the confessions that he says he affirms because the Westminster says, um, you know, it's truly and properly sin. The motions of original sin are truly and properly sin. And um, and so I, I want to encourage you, listener, to go and and listen to listen to that debate. And I think you'll find it beneficial. Um, I'm supposed to go on Preston Sprinkle's podcast this week, mm-hmm. and that should be an interesting discussion. I'm not exactly sure what that's going to look <laughs> like yet, but I hope it's beneficial. Yeah. I really do want to help folks, like because the all these guys, to varying degrees, you know, Doug not Doug is not as bad as most in this movement, right? I mean, he is he's solid on so many good things, um, but he's mistaken on this. And but a lot of these guys, they're trying to take people's sins and guilt away through rhetoric by telling them they're not sinning. And I'm saying, one, you are sinning because you have desires that are contrary to God, and two, you have a savior. You don't have to run to the mirror. So with with a lot of these so-called gay Christian guys who are arguing this stuff, like Sam Albury, Wesley Hill, Nate Collins, Rachel Gilson. They have to send people running to the mirror to see if they've sinned or not. Mm. Like they have to say, "Well, was it, was it a, uh, was it desire enticing or did desire conceive?" <laughs> right? Like it, it's this. You have to look in the mirror. It's, it's full of introspection. Um, well, was that a same-sex sexual attraction or was it a homosexual orientation desire? Because they say homosexual orientation is not sin, but homosexual. Um, sexual attraction is sin. And so they're constantly looking in themselves and talking about their feelings. When I'm saying you've got to talk about Jesus, this is why you're never going to overcome your same-sex desires is because you talk about them all the time. Quit talking about them. Quit talking about yourself. You talk much of Jesus. You build your life around worship. You know, if you turn Romans 1 you know, he, he says upside down worship leads to upside down sexuality and all kinds of sin. If you turn that on its head, right side up worship, so worshiping Yahweh by the Spirit through the Son to the Father, leads to right side up sexuality and all kinds of righteousness. Mm-hmm. You build your life around worshiping God and you quit talking about yourself and you run to Christ continually. You know, you were talking about repentance earlier. Jesus, when he taught us how to pray, he told us to confess our debts. He assumed, well, he knew that we would have debts to confess every time we prayed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's entailed repentance is should be a regular part of prayer. And if you believe in praying without ceasing, 
Amen. There you go. <laughs> you need to be repenting constantly and rejoicing. You have a Savior. Yeah. Amen. Well, that's exactly right. And um, this is an important subject. And, brother, you've written a wonderful book, a good book. We encourage folks to get a copy of this. It's The Lust of the Flesh, Thinking Biblically About Sexual Orientation, Attraction, and Temptation. Sexual orientation is in quote marks there, and that gives you a very clear indication of uh, what Jared is talking about here. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield calls this book pure gold. So get it, read it, uh, encourage others to get it and read it as well. Brother, thank you so much uh, for joining us today on The Sword and the Trial. We want to thank our uh, Founders Alliance members and churches that support founders and enable us to produce this kind of content, make it available to you. If we can do anything to serve you and help you in any way, please let us know. Why are we here? What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is is forgetting. We, We forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme overall. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.